Shalom and welcome back to Spirit Living. This week I sit down with Gary Sullivan, who's been a family friend, first with Kale and I's grandpa back in Pine Bluff, where he grew up. He owned five liquor stores before coming to Christ, who changed everything in Gary's life. Even despite the trials and unimaginable circumstances, as you'll soon hear about. He recently moved to Fayetteville, where I got the privilege to interview him about holding on to Jesus through it all. So Gary, welcome. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I will ask you the same question that I've asked everybody just to start out. What Bible verse has been most impactful to you in your life, and why is that? Well, probably uh, in one of my businesses called Vision Graphics, uh, my secretary her name's Carrie Weaver, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. She lives in Alma. She had Bible verse, and I'd been a Christian quite a long time. Of course, I always like John 3.16, but uh, really and truthfully, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So I would say that's probably the number one for me. Because uh, the walk or the journey with the Lord sometimes is it's uh, sticky. It it gets hard sometimes. But on the other hand, He never leaves you or forsakes you. Exactly. How how have you seen that? Like those principles play into your life. Well, I'll give you if I give a little background. Uh, I grew up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And in fact, I knew your grandfather, <laughs> and sure. uh, I used to go pay taxes up there to him. <laughs> and uh, uh, my dad and mom and my whole family were in the liquor business. We had five liquor stores, two in Pine Bluff and three in Little Rock. I have an older brother and an older sister. And uh, I was the youngest <clears throat> and the spoiledest. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. Me like, too. Huh? Exactly <laughs> how it works. Yeah, my dad and mom, you know, they were older at the time. Uh, uh, and they were not saved. Okay. And so... My dad always gave me about anything I wanted. I really didn't have to work for it too hard. And uh, I just probably was a wild and crazy guy growing up in high school. I graduated from Pine Bluff High in 68. And then um, I went to a couple of colleges, didn't make it there too well. And so then I came, uh, I came back to Little Rock to work for my dad. And my dad said, it's time to come home. If you're not going to do good in college, you've got to come home and go to work. And so I did. And... Uh, so he was living in Little Rock in an apartment with my mom, and so I came back home, and he put me to work in the liquor store business. And uh, I'd been working uh, 24 days, uh, June 24th, 1970. I was at one of the new liquor stores out on Highway 10, and uh, I had a car that was acting up on the transmission, so I had a fellow that was working on it for me, and he uh, brought the car out there, but I had to have someone to come to work for me while I would drove the car. So my mom came down with my nephew, Bobby. He was 11 at the time. And so I went and drove the car, and it did okay. And I came back, and she said, uh, would you take my car up on Cantrell Road and get it car washed? And I said, sure. So I went up there, and I was gone about 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the most. And I came back, and <clears throat> uh, when I walked in the liquor store itself, I noticed uh, there was something strange about it because my mom was not up front. Mm. And so I... Uh, Went and there was six pack of beer in a sack, and it was still cold up on the counter. And my nephew had gone back to back to look for her, and I heard him scream. And so I ran back there, and my mom was uh, laid out by the safe back there. And I didn't know whether she had been shot or hit in the head, but when I ran my nephew out, 
and I checked on her because I hunted and fished all my life, and I knew about life and death. And uh, she was kind of bleeding from her ears and from her nose, and I knew then that she was no longer with us. Very frightening. I remember trying to find a phone, and uh, they'd pull the wire on the phone. I finally found one and called my dad and called 911, and uh, sure enough, they had uh, killed her. Mm. So that was very devastating in my life. 21 yeah. years old and have no idea. And at that particular time, I knew about Christ because mom and dad had taken me to Sunday school, mm. but I did not know him as my Lord and Savior. So <clears throat> that was really devastating. So believe it or not, I actually went back and worked at liquor store some more wow. until I was, I got married at 25 to my wife, Julianne, <laughs> and uh, we had one child, Jamie, at 27 I had just won the state bass fishing tournament on Lake Washtenaw at the Governor's Cup, and Governor Pryor had given me the trophy, and my picture was all over the papers. <laughs> and uh, I was really wanting to fish for a living, these yeah. professional fishermen. You know, I really wanted to do that because that's kind of what I like doing. And uh, so I w- was in Pine Bluff, still in the liquor business, and my brother and my sister-in-law said, would you come visit this church? And it was called Southside Baptist Church. And actually, I was baptized because my mom wouldn't be be baptized after. She thought, I think, baptism saved me, you know, baptism. Mm. And so I was actually baptized, but I was actually just got wet. I didn't really understand what it was about. So I went to this church, and uh, there was a guy in there. His name was Daryl. And he'd seen my picture in the paper, and he said, hey, man, you just won the state (laughs) tournament, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I got lucky. I caught an eight-pounder in the last 20 minutes, okay? Nice. So uh, he said, well, you take me fishing. And uh, I said, sure, I'll take you fishing. So sure enough, I took him fishing, and we went in a flat-bottom boat on, uh, down at Humphreys, Arkansas, to Reservoir. And uh, on the way back, he told me about Jesus, about what Jesus had done for him and how it changed his life. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit took it from there on. And I actually started attending that church which the Baptist church didn't allow anybody in the liquor business in it. You know, they have a covenant. Yeah. So we began to go there and we'd go on Wednesdays and we'd go Sunday mornings and we were never members, but we, every Tuesday night, the deacons would come over to my house and witness to me about Jesus <laughs> and get me the Roman road and tell me yes. about all of Santa come short of the glory of God and everything. And so, uh, one Wednesday, he called me up, Daryl, and he said, listen, i got a good friend that's an evangelist. He's going to have, uh, he's got evangelism going at Star City, Arkansas, at First Baptist Star City. And he said, come on, I want you to go with me. I want you and Julie to go. And I said, well, I don't know if I want to go or not. And so he said, oh, come on, please. So I said, okay. So we went, and uh, the, the gentleman, his name was Bill Fitchu, he preached about the wide road to hell and the narrow road to heaven. And uh, that night we went forward, Julie and I did, because I just had a lot of questions. You know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about salvation. You see it on TV where people are rolling around the ground, they get slain down (laughs) and knocked down and all this stuff. And I kind of had the uh, image in my mind, that's what salvation was. Mm. So that night after we went forward, they took us back in the pastor's office and we sat down and we talked. And uh, so finally he got to doing the Roman road, which, you know, what it is, and and I asked him, I said, well, this was the key, Reed, is that I said, if I say these verses, will I be a Christian? Will I be saved? Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, no, you won't. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he 
He said, you have to believe it. And that was astronomical. Because when I realized that I had to believe it, and then I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. And I'll tell you, any time in my life, I walked out of that office and I knew that my sins had been forgiven. Mm. You know what I mean? All the things that I'd done yeah. in the past, didn't realize the ones in the future too, but <laughs> the things in the past that my sin had been forgiven. And it, it, and it made a tremendous amount of difference because I just felt like a clean vessel. Okay. Yes. So after that, I, uh, I stayed in the liquor business with my dad. Uh, I did get rebaptized <laughs> in a Baptist <laughs> church. And this time it was for real. Yes. And so uh, I was 27 years old when that happened, August the 10th, 1977. And uh, I kept on praying and, and trying to learn how to communicate with the Lord. And in my heart, I've, in my head or whatever, I, I just I knew that God did not want me to stay in the liquor business. Mm. Uh, it just so happened I loved my parents very much, but we had alcoholism in our family, mm. and it was pretty rampant, okay? And I grew up in that kind of situation. And uh, sometimes it wasn't easy. But uh, anyway, the Lord showed me that he didn't want me selling booze or drinking it anymore. So we was in a corporation with my dad and my sister and my brother. My brother had gotten out, so it was just sister and I. And I brought them over to my house one day, and, and Julianne was in concurrence with me completely. And uh, I told him, I said, Dad, I can't stay in the liquor business anymore. I said, the Lord doesn't want me out there because I know how devastating it is to other people, not only just to my family, but to other people. Yeah. And so he said, okay. He said, I'll, I'll just okay. buy it back from you, you know, your portion. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so as it worked out, time went by, about six months went by, and he came down with cancer in his leg. Mm. And so he couldn't buy it back. So we ended up having to sell it. So... Uh, we sold that business, and I did get a portion of it. And I was still going to church at Southside. I, I was there for 40 years, okay? And uh, so I was trying to figure out what the Lord wanted me to do. So as it worked out, uh, I flew all the way to Colorado to talk to a guy about investing in condos wow. up there at Copper Mountain. And huh. Julie went with me, and that didn't work out. So we came back home, and, you know, uh, my dad helped me a lot no matter what. My dad loved me. I mean— he really loved me. So he and I got together and we tried. I looked, I could have gone to work for insurance companies. I could, my father-in-law was a general agent for one and could have done a lot of things. But for some reason, and I don't know why, but coin laundromats hmm. somehow or another got into the mix. Okay. okay. And so um, I prayed about it. And one thing I thought about, the reason I did it was because I could go hunting and fishing. Okay, ah, yes. that was the ulterior motive, okay? <laughs> but guess what? It didn't work out that yeah. way. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we built, built two brand new ones, and they did fantastic. Uh, they For the first three or four years, they just knocked the socks off of everybody because there weren't any good ones in town. You know, the thing was about the laundromat is that I got to tell more people about Jesus and the laundromats, and I put the whole life of Christ on the wall in picture form and verses all over my laundromats to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I told them all. So I'll fast forward a little bit uh, to the point that uh, I had another child. His name was Aaron, and he was two years younger than Jamie. And then nine years later, I had another son. His name was Sam. 
We call him Samuel, okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of named him after Samuel in the Bible, okay? And my father-in-law said, that'd be a great used car salesman name, Samuel <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we got the liquor business, we got the coin laundry business, and uh, it was uh, totally a new experience. I'd never worked on a washing machine or a dryer in my life, and here I've got 150 washing <laughs> machines and 100 dryers, and they were breaking down. But the best thing about the whole deal was that I really I saw God in it was my customers were predominantly black, okay, in Pine Bluff. And, you know, these guys that killed my mom were black. And Mm -hmm. so I really kind of had a little stigma about Mm -hmm. that. And I don't know if that's why the Lord put me in that business where he could show me that it wasn't the color of a man's skin. It's what's in the man's heart. Exactly. It's not the color of his skin. And so... uh, there, I was in it for 40 years, and uh, I had ended up having five laundries. And uh, then I had my son, Sam, nine years later. Well, Jamie went to Arkansas Tech, and she graduated from there. And during that time, Aaron was at the University of Arkansas. And he uh, uh, had a girlfriend up here, and then Sam was just nine, okay? Mm-hmm. And so this is when we had another tragedy in our life, which was a really oh. big one, okay? And... Uh, my son called my wife and I on a Friday night, and he said, I've been up, throwing up all night. My head is killing me. So we didn't know. He thought he had the flu. We told him to go to the doctor, and he hated needles, <laughs> and he just didn't want to go to the doctor for that. Yeah. So uh, Sunday night, he was over at my nephew's house with his girlfriend. They were upstairs, and on Sunday night, uh, they called me. I was at church, and they said he'd gone blind. And my wife, for some reason, had the thought that he could have possibly had spinal meningitis, but he was not showing the signs from a nursing standpoint. She was a nurse, by the way. Mm. She worked in labor and delivery 35 years. So she's seen a lot of people born, okay? (laughs) And so we got that call, and we rushed to Fayetteville. And they had him up here at the hospital. And um, we picked up my daughter in Russellville, and we drove on up. And by the time we got here, he was gone. Uh, he had spinal meningitis, meningococcal spinal meningitis, which is the worst kind you can get because this particular virus or germ gets in your uh, amniotic, not your amniotic fluid, but your fluid in your spine, and it actually eats it up. And that's it, oh, wow. what had happened to him. And when I got there that night, Reed, he was laying in there with a tube in his mouth. Of course, he was he was contagious because that stuff is very contagious. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was perfect. He was just laying there. I'll tell you, it broke my heart. Yeah. I even made a deal with the Lord that night. I said, Lord, if you'll bring this boy back, you can take me. Hmm. Please, because he's only 19 years old. Yeah. I said, I'll, I will go. Please. Well, the Lord didn't see fit to do that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, when, I, when we got up to Fayetteville and got the, in that night, that we I stayed all night at the hospital and uh, there was about 60 kids up there praying for him mm. and up there. Yeah. And uh, so the next day we had to make a decision to pull the plug. Uh, he had no brain activity whatsoever. And so he, we had to make a decision. And I knew because I know him that he wouldn't want to be an invalid or be a vegetable or yeah. anything like that. So we decided to go ahead and pull the plug. He lasted about six minutes. Oh, wow. And uh, I just couldn't go in there. My nephew and my brother went in there with him, but I couldn't do it. Julie couldn't do it either, so yeah. it was extremely hard. 
uh, we did have a lot of support. We had we had a lot of support. But I think the real thing I'd like to tell you is that just like your grandfather about your grandmother when he passed away, mm-hmm. I just kept asking the Lord, "Why, my son? Yeah, why, exactly, my son? Why did my son have to be sacrificed?" And I think I talked asking that for three years. Read, I cried for three years. Yeah, I cried. I really cried, and I really, I really wasn't mad at God, but I just couldn't couldn't quite understand mm-hmm. why this had to happen, and uh, to get over that hump. And we had tons of support. That when we got back home, all the church had broken my house, and they stayed with us a week. I mean, they mm-hmm. kept us up. And when the funeral, it was one of the biggest funerals in Pine Bluff. Uh, the p- church was packed out, and they got to hear the gospel. You know. Yeah. But it didn't bring him back, you know, and I missed him. It's kind of like a, if you have your right arm cut off and your right arm is your main, your dominant arm. Well, that's exactly how it felt to me. Mm. It was terrible. And uh, I stayed in the coin laundry business after that. I continued to cry and ask God. And uh, one day, it's pretty pretty crazy, but one day I was coming back down Highway 15 or something like that. And I was beating on the steering wheel asking, Lord, why? You know, why? And this thought came across my brain. And it said, you see that logging truck up there in front of you, right up there in front of you, coming your way? He said, you can be with Aaron today. Just pull out in front of that truck. Mm. Yeah. I knew who that was. I didn't know at the time, but I know who it was now. And it certainly wasn't the Lord telling me to do that. So I didn't do it. And, you know, our life continued to go on, the coin laundry business. And uh, so I got to the point that during that truck coming toward me and asking the Lord, he, he gave me an answer. He finally gave me one. And the answer was that I gave my son for you. Mm. He said, I gave my son for you. And I'll just be honest with you. When he told me that, it made me understand a little bit better what he had done. Yeah. And when he gave his son, he gave just like I did, everything. And he he loved us enough that he gave his son. And I love my son that much. Mm. Okay, and I kind of experienced that uh, from that kind of viewpoint. So after my son passing away and the support that I received from the church and from the people in the church, the people are the church, that I continue to walk with the Lord. And I, I did get resolution on why my son had to die. He told me that. And as I've walked with the Lord, I've tried to understand him and try to walk and sh- let him show me where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do. And, of course, the Bible tells us what we're supposed to be doing. It, if you read the Bible very much, and, you 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 know, the thing was that it, what happened to me was that I have— I, have you ever heard of, of a seeker, someone that really is looking— hard and trying to find something out why not only that things happen in your life but how does God actually talk to you how does Mm. God actually show you things in your life and the direction you're supposed to go well most of it's in the Bible and of course we know that he's not going to tell us anything in our minds that's going to contradict what he said in his word certainly you know what I mean so but it has always been my desire to walk close not, and I can't tell you I've always done it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I still have bad thoughts. I still coveted things, you know, all those things. But I'm, 
I'm thankful, and I know he's he's just that if you forget, he forgives you if you ask for repentance. So as my years have gone by, and now I'm 74 years old, and uh, I stayed in the laundromat 40 years, and had another company called Vision Graphics that I did screen printing and monogram. And I thought when I came up here, uh, we got the opportunity to come up here, which was been praying for 20 years about it to be with my grandchildren, that I would come up here and start a new company called God's Kingdom Wear, and I was going to do Christian shirts, uh, Christian hats, and uh, stuff like that. But it, it didn't work out. Julie didn't want me to do it. My wife didn't, and my daughter Jamie didn't necessarily. And um, But if I, if I could tell you anything, whoever's listening out there, is that God is my life. I love Him. I love Jesus. And without Him, I don't know where I would be. And I know that one day, when I leave this earth, he's going to welcome me into heaven. And I'm going to get to see my family again mm. and hug my son's neck again because he promises that we will know them when we get there, that we'll be a new creation in Christ. We won't have to guess anymore. We'll know the truth. So if there's anybody out there listening at this testimony, just remember God is real. He's not made up, and he will guide you, and he will lead you. And the big deal is you can trust him with your life. So I pray anybody that out there that hasn't done that, do it. You'll never regret changing. He'll change your life to the better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is incredible. Thank you for for telling your whole story. Um, There's so many parts to it that I know your your view of God has just been shifted and expanded through every part of that story, um, and it's so evident now, just even talking to you now and seeing the evidence in your life that all of this has happened, and it's done nothing but strengthen your faith, and you know the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus more than most people having had to go through similar experiences. So all of that really just expands your view of God, which is amazing. You mentioned losing your son was like losing your right arm. So what was the process like of learning how to live with just a left arm? What what was that like? How are you able to go through that and cope with it all? Well, I guess when that happened, that I was married and had one child, Jamie, Mm. and like I said, my church supported me, but really and truthfully, I guess my my acceptance of Christ was the biggest thing in my life, mm-hmm. and probably the second biggest thing in my life is marrying my wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a great wife. Mm-hmm. She loves the Lord, and she loves me for who I am, and she has uh, been with me through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. And we always make decisions together. We don't do them apart. We we talk them over, and if she doesn't like it or I don't like it, we can discuss it and not get upset with each other. And But I would just say that one of the things that my wife, and then I had this other son I was telling you about that he was younger, and by having him, it helped because it never filled the void for Aaron, but on the other hand, it gave me a purpose to live. Mm-hmm. Because if I hadn't had the other son, Reed, I'm not sure that I'd be here right now. Yeah. Okay. So it helped uh, greatly to have the other son. And I guess 
just your experiences in life that you see the hand of God, even though sometimes you don't see it when it's happening, you can look back and you can see uh, where he's been. I'll just give you one more example. Um, one time, my, de- my son had been gone 15 years, but we still had some plants that were at his funeral that we kept that grew and they were humongous. We had them outside and we'd water them, you know, and it just kind of was a symbolism of, of him. You know what I mean? That he was yeah. still around, you know, yeah. it's like clothing or shoes, you know, or <laughs> things that you treasure, you know, and the things that represent him. So one day Julianne told me, she said, you know, we got to get rid of those plants. Hmm. And I said, I said, I don't really want to get rid of them. She said, yeah, it's time. And so I had these coin laundromats, you know, I was telling you about. And so I had these big dumpsters over there at the coin laundromat. And so I thought, I said, who would take these plants? And I thought about a lot of people, and I couldn't find one that wanted them. So I said, okay. So I went over to my laundromat, and I I looked inside, and there were some people washing and drying in there. And so this big dumpster was at the end of the, the building there. So I went down there and opened it up. And I started putting those plants in the dumpster. Now, I didn't throw them in, okay? I just put them in because I couldn't throw them. Yeah. So about that time, out of my laundromat, this young black man, and he was probably in his early 20s, he came over. I thought he had lost a dollar or a quarter, you know, in the yeah. laundromat. And he came down to me, and he said, hey, he said, what are you going to do with those plants? Mm. And I said, well, I, I guess I'm going to throw them away. He said, no, don't throw them away. I want them. <laughs> and I said, you do want them? And he said, yeah, I love plants. He said, I want them. And so I told him what those plants meant to me. And he looked at me and he said, I'll take care of them for you. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, oh, my goodness. So, I mean, I can just go on and on and tell you circumstances. We had a, after my son passed away, we built a garden over my laundromat by my laundromat. And it, we owned quite a bit, not a acre or two over there, but so I really felt like I wanted to do three rows. Okay. Yeah. So I was going, Sam was a little boy at that time. So me and another guy, uh, we went out there and we disc up three rows. And while I was doing it, I had this feeling and I heard him say, I want you to do 10 rows. Mm. I said, 10 rows? Oh, yeah. He said, yeah. And he said, I want you to make it my garden. Mm. So we made it Jesus's garden. And we did 10 rows, and we planted corn and okra. God, do we have okra? Okra and peas and tomatoes. Never done it before. I didn't even know what I was doing. But he said, I want you to get some sacks, and I want you to take them to the laundromat, and anybody that wants to eat from that garden can come get a sack. I said, okay. (laughs) So we did it, and they did eat out of it. The only thing is they eat. They'd, they'd rape it, you know what I mean? Take the whole everything <laughs> off of it to eat, you know. And but uh, that was just another example. I mean, I just there's just so many things that you look back and you just see the hand of God in. I mean, yeah. you really do. And uh, I know life is for a lot of people terrible. Like I said, it's not easy. I kind of felt like sometimes, Reed, I was in the desert for forty years with the children of Israel when I was down there in those laundromats because they weren't easy at all. And it was hard dealing with people. But I did have a lady that washed from me early when I first started, and about 30 years goes by, okay? And she comes back to washing my laundromat after 30 years. And I'm growing, I'm 30 years older, okay? And uh, she got to talking to me, and she said, You know, 
you never change. He said, she said, you're the same now as you were 30 years ago. You're still telling people about Jesus. Mm. And, you know, I told her, I said, well, thank you. I said, mm. without him, I wouldn't be here. And, uh, I mean, it's just things like that. You just you cannot imagine yeah. some of the things that have happened to us that really and truthfully that we could see the hand of God in later on. Sometimes not in the middle of it, but, yeah. you know. So, yeah. he, but he's so faithful. Exactly. He, he is faithful. And, and your ministry, when you, get, when you get yours really rolling, it may be tough. But he is faithful. I'll tell you the biggest thing that I found out about him is that he loves us more than we could ever understand. Mm. I believe he loves us more than I love my son. Yeah. And I'm just telling you right now, that was a big time love. Yeah. <laughs> because he's just so good to us. A lot of times we beat ourselves up when really we don't need to. Mm. We just need to trust him. Exactly. So. Yeah. I, I can think of no better legacy to leave on this earth than to have somebody say, you haven't changed. You're still telling people about Jesus. That's right. Like, if that's what we're known for, what else is there? That's all there is, really. So, so that's incredible. And, and also, sometimes, sometimes we do have to wander through the wilderness for 40 years, but the promised land is still there yes. on the other side of it. We may not get to see it, but... It's still there. And one day, in heaven, we all will. And Amen. we'll be reunited. So that's really incredible. How did other people come alongside you through all of the grieving process? Well, it was uh, really remarkable because it is so strange how that worked out because uh, uh, when, when my son died up here at Fayetteville, they took him to the funeral home, you know, and it's so weird because the next day, we didn't realize it, but we followed him home in the in the hearse mm. <laughs> from here. You understand? Yeah. And when we got home, like I said, they had broken my house in Pine Bluff, and uh, it was just a unbelievable outpouring of love. Yeah. Uh, we had over three hundred people come through our house, oh, and you wow. know it's really wild because uh, they were there to comfort us. Yeah. But I believe we comforted them. I really mean that. Yeah. I mean, because we we still believe in Jesus, no matter how bad it was. And we still tried to witness. But the people were there at the church and our friends. And, I mean, bankers were coming, people that were coming out of the woodwork that, mm -hmm. I had, you know, that I might have known some. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you one thing. I came out of there that day at the uh, funeral itself. And one of my employees, he was a black gentleman. His name was William Belcher. He was dressed fit to kill. He couldn't get into church because it was so packed. Wow. But boy, I'll tell you what, Reed, he touched my heart. He showed he cared. Just a little bit of care, a little bit of love goes a long way. I mean, right. I could just tell you one story after another. Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. It's, God, it's awesome. It he, is. he really is. They don't, nobody wants just to believe about, believe that. And, and like I said, it ain't easy, but I'm just telling you now, he's awesome. I promise you. For sure. We've mentioned like you have such a huge view of God, and that's just an overarching theme in your life. I, I see a lot of like cultural Christians in America today, especially, who will go to church like when it's convenient for them. 
but that's about it. That's the extent. It's compartmentalized, really, of, yeah, I have church life every now and then, and then I have the rest of my life. And there's a disconnect there. So how does your view of God affect how you live? Because I know it does, and I know it's supposed to for all of us. So how does that affect how you live, and why? Well, I guess I could answer that question and tell you that even though I go to church, I'm still human, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And I still have my frailties, and I still have my desires. And uh, I have done things that I've even pitched bass tournaments on Sunday, okay, Mm -hmm. and and done some things uh, that I know God was not glad I did them, okay? I think we all do that because we're human, and we're all going to sin and cut short of the glory of God. But now that I'm older and my life is, I don't know how much longer I got it here on this earth, but now it's so much sweeter. Mm. Even though I'm, I struggle. Don't misunderstand me. I, I struggle because I know that God wants to use me in a way uh, now. Uh, actually, at one time, I did surrender to preach, okay, mm. uh, back when I was 30 years old. And my pastor back then told me, he said, well, you've got to finish college and four years of seminary. <laughs> and I, I said, ain't no way. <laughs> I can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, uh, but I do believe that I have been called by God. And I believe anybody that believes in Christ has been called for a purpose. For sure. You know, the, the Bible talks about hands and feet and toes and, mm. and how God uses everybody individually, uh, how he speaks to people through your testimony. Not only that, but through your actions more than your words. Yeah. I mean, you can hear a lot of good preaching on TV, but the real question is those dudes doing it. So exactly. So really and truthfully, I've just been, I've had, God's always sent me support. Yeah. Uh, mainly my wife and my family, my daughter. She's a wonderful Christian lady. She's been in the ministry now for about 13 years. Uh, my, my son that I lost, I know he was had accepted Christ. I'll tell you a little story about that. When he was 12 years old, we were in a, uh, a Christian bookstore. This is, I hadn't been saved too long. Or, and we were going through there. Uh, it's called Glover's Bible Bookstore in Pine Bluff. And we, uh, we were buying something for the church. And uh, so we were going to the counter up there, and, and there was these stones that you could wear, a necklace, and it had a cross in the middle of the stone. And uh, Aaron said to me, Dad, uh, he said, will you buy me one of those? And I said, Sure. I didn't know I was going to lose him. You understand? Yeah. And I want you to know that boy wore that for the rest of his life. Wow. He wore it. And I do know that he is in heaven, and I know that I will see him again. And just truthfully, these things here on in this world are mundane. They are. They're mundane. It, it's, it's not the end. That's the key. It's, yeah. it's not the end. It may be the end of your physical body. But it's not the end of you. Exactly. I kind of look forward to it. That counts kind of crazy, <laughs> doesn't it? But I'm telling you now, after you get older and all your friends leave or the ones that were Christians, I've got a couple of friends of mine that helped mentor me when I was a deacon at the church. And they've gone on. They were older. Mm. And uh, they got to the point in their life, Reed, that they said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and they meant it. They yeah. meant it. I just keep telling you, God is so good. Uh, another quick story is that uh, about four years we moved to Fayetteville ago. And I had a good friend that when I was a Dane to Deacon about 40 years ago or so, 
there was a gentleman named Wendell Hayden that was a deacon brother in that, at the Southside Church, okay? And I, I didn't know him very well at all. But his son, John, uh, I sold uh, T-shirts and all to the schools and all, and yeah. he was the principal. He was my son Sam's football coach, okay, yeah. at Watson Chapel in Pine Bluff. Yeah. As a matter of fact, your uh, aunt works in that school. That's She's right. She's superintendent <laughs> office. I know her real well. And uh, so Mr. Wendell Hayden, he lived up here for 12 years. His daughter uh, was up here, and so he moved up here. With the, he had two kids. They had two kids, really nice people. And uh, I was at uh, elementary school in Pine Bluff getting an order, and John was, I was getting an order from him. And I heard his mother call. Her name was Norma. And she had, a, she was from Scotland, and she has a Scottish brogue. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I heard her talking to him on the phone. He was kind of loud. And uh, I just moved to Laurietta Street up here, okay? And so uh, John was talking to her, and she said, he, she said, Johnny. She said, we just bought a new house on Laurietta Street. <laughs> and I heard that. And I, I asked him, I said, what did your mom just say? Yeah. And she bought a house, about four houses or five houses down from ours on oh, the left. Wow. And they were a lot older. You understand yeah. that we are. They're 10 years older than we are. Yeah. And uh, I'm just telling you, they became our best friends. Hmm. I went to the Razorback games with him. <laughs> I mean, they were like my mom and dad. They were fantastic people, and they loved the Lord. Mm. And um, Mr. Wendell lost her about a year or so ago, and it was pretty tough on him. And they moved to Hot Springs Village. But anyway, the Lord does that. He orchestrates people in your life. I mean, even right now, I don't know why you're asking me to do this, but, but whatever the case, I'm thankful. Okay, and I just pray that, like I said, that God will use this, that someone out there that might have experienced what I've done. So I just pray it helps somebody. Exactly. I, I think the stories and just the conversation we've had already is the reason why uh, I, I had you come on. Like just seeing all of God's faithfulness and just like you said, how you can see how God orchestrates everything and everybody together in ways that probably don't make sense to us exactly. in the moment, especially. Right. But we can always look back and see how it, it all worked for good. Uh, in, a, in a way that's more creative and perfect than we ever could have imagined. It always works for, for the best. He does. Exactly. He does. So I'll ask one last question. What has been the biggest blessing in your life? Well, most time anybody would say they're children. Mm. Okay. But, of course, I think the very biggest blessing is becoming a Christian and accepting Christ. Yeah. But the second greatest blessing in my life is my wife. She has, she's a stalwart. She, uh, she's fantastic. I mean, that doesn't mean she's not my wife, but I mean, I'm just telling you, when I needed help, when I had questions, when we made decisions together, uh, t uh, you know, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman? Yes. If you wanted to use that as a, uh, what she's like, she's <laughs> like that. Uh, I asked her, uh, to go to work because I couldn't make enough money in the coin laundry business. And she kind of didn't want to and did want to, you know, and yeah. uh, eventually she did. And she found out that she was supposed to do it because that was her ministry. Mm, she, exactly. she has delivered, I think 6,000 or 7,000 kids <laughs> wow. up there in that hospital at Jefferson. And she yeah. has told more people about Jesus Christ <laughs> 
I mean, you just think about it. When you get a mother Amazing. in that situation, uh, buddy, they're vulnerable. <laughs> they 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 want to hear anything to help them. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but really and truthfully, I, if I was going to tell the truth, that would be my wife. And I, I'm very thankful for I, um, I love her. And there's nothing better than to have a wife that you love and that loves you back. So that's my answer. That's a wonderful answer. Amazing note to end the podcast on. To close us out, would you mind praying for us? Father, we come to you now in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And we just pray, God, that through this podcast, that there's someone out there that doesn't know you. And you, they really don't know if you're real or not real. And I just want to be a witness to them, God, that you are real. And that you do love us more than we can understand. And that you did send your son to die for our sins. So I just pray anybody that's out there right now, if you've never accepted Jesus, and all you got to do is ask for forgiveness for your sins, believe that he died on the cross for you, and that he shed his precious blood for you, and ask him to come into your life. He will do it. And he will change your life. He can do anything he wants to do. You just got to allow him to do it. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Mr. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Our stories are so powerful and they're made to be shared. So our thanks again to Gary Sullivan for coming on and sharing his with us. He's such an inspiration because of that story, but I'd say mainly because of his dogged determination just to share Jesus with everybody in all circumstances. Like before and after our interview, he repeatedly said that the only message that he wanted to get across was Jesus and him crucified, because he wouldn't be here if it weren't for Christ in just so many different ways. There's also the best legacy that I can imagine having, and is one that I strive for, being known for pointing people back to Jesus every time. If his story was an encouragement to you at all, please share it with those around you to get the message out. Hopefully, Kale and I can continue to share Jesus and Him crucified next week as we move on from our Fruit of the Spirit series into our exploration of biblical figures who have all exemplified spirit living. We'll talk with you next week. Shalom.